Movie Date is supported by Cohen Media Group, presenting the new film In the Name of My Daughter, starring Catherine Deneuve. Starts Friday, May 15th at Lincoln Plaza Cinemas and the IFC Center. Movie Date is supported by the movie music stream at yourclassical.org. Soundtracks for every moment of the day and features that complement your listening experience. Movies at yourclassical.org. Rafer, how is the world going to end? How is the world going to end? It's going to end, oh, I don't know, probably slowly, don't you think? With gorillas taking over? Or will the robot takeover <laughs> be how we die? <laughs> the gorillas, the robots. Uh, Zombies. We start making food out of ourselves. <laughs> I don't know. Tough Maybe to say. Maybe we'll run out of water and then we'll start ingesting dirt. <laughs> and then we'll fight over the dirt. I don't know. After there's a nuclear bomb. I don't want the world to end. I'm actually very terrified of it. You know, it's not the world ending that I'm terrified of. It's after the world ends that I'm terrified of and all the people being psychotic animals living on base instincts. Yeah. You That's mean like what I'm what's scared of. You mean like what's going to happen when all those guys go to Mars 1? Oh, I was going to say like what's <laughs> happening in California now. All oh, the water is almost gone. Look I at hope the way not. they are in California. My in family's, their homeland. My family's still out there. <laughs> my dad has no lawn. He lives in a condo, in, a, in an apartment. He has no lawn. He's not responsible for the water shortage. Okay. All right, Mr. Guzman. Thank you for not contributing to the problem. Yes, exactly. Well, the problem's getting far worse in one of this week's big releases, Mad Max Fury Road. The big apocalypse franchise returning for the first time in 30 years. The world does not look good. No, no, it looks very, very bad. Things, things have gotten really bad. <laughs> One might say it's a mad world. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. yes, I did it. Indeed. I did it. <laughs> We've got one other movie. You might call this the Acapella Apocalypse. It's uh, oh. Pitch Perfect 2. Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson are back as the Barden Bellas. We'll talk about that, too. We've got one more new feature. What is it, Kristen? It's called Mystery Date. When we look at the weird things that are being pushed at us, being, well, maybe not pushed is the right word. We're being encouraged to watch this. You might like this movie when you're on Netflix, when you're on Hulu. And a lot of those things you look at, and if you're like me and Rafer, you think, what is this? Right. What is this nonsense? Why should I watch this? You're telling me I should check this out? Why are Our... these two major stars in this film that I've never heard of? So because we don't want you guys out there to have to do it alone, Rafer and I want to provide a public service. And we're going to watch some of these movies, some of these weird mystery dates for you and share what we think. I think that's doing the Lord's work. But first, <laughs> let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. When I'm gone, when I'm gone, when, when I'm gone, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. You're gonna miss me by Kristen, tell us all about Mad Max Fury Road. What's happening in this movie? There's a lot of fury here. Yeah. And it's, you know, a dystopian future, a post-apocalyptic nightmare, you might say. I have to say, full disclosure, I've never seen any of the other Mad Max films. Oh, wow. Okay. So I went in here as a complete Mad Max virgin. And what I surmised was something very bad has happened to the world. The ruling folks, if you want to call them ruling, they're just like warlords who are abusive to what few survivors there are. That's ruling. Yeah, they, they kind of hold on to what little tiny bit of water there is left, what tiny bit of resources. They're horrible. They're violent. The women and children are sex slaves. The boys are trained to be child soldiers. Uh, everyone is just full of rage and violence all the time. It's a horrible place to live. And 
I also surmise that there was something wrong with this ruling class. They seemed to be inbred. They were yes. all really sick. They had diseases. They all had to be hooked up to other people so they could take their blood. Yes. Um, and you know, oxygen and other things. They're they're just breast not, milk. Yeah, they're not functioning like healthy humans. <laughs> yeah, there's the breast milk people too that they just milk these women. So. Women are being used as chattel, essentially. And then you have somebody who's trying to break free from this world. Her name is Furiosa, and she's played by Charlize Theron. She's a big rig driver. She's going out there. She's helping some of the sex slaves to escape. And along for the ride is Mad Max, played by Tom Hardy. Here is a clip. How do you know this place even exists? I was born there. So why'd you leave? I didn't. I was taken as a child. Stolen. So, a lot happening. A lot happening in this film. Um, what did you think of this film? Not having, not being a Mad Max fan or knowing the other the other three films. I can't believe you never saw Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. I was way too young. You were for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, wasn't oh, I? Wasn't wow. like wasn't that movie in the eighty five? Was eighty five? Is thirty years ago? So I would have been like ten or. Uh, I guess that's true. I, th- I think that those kinds of you know dystopian movies at that age, maybe I was too young for. That could be. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I could handle things like uh, war games. I saw war games. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't find that too upsetting. All right. I'm glad. What? So how did you like this film? Well, I have to say, awfully scary. Sonia, you thought it was scary. Oh, my gosh. The initial introduction to this world is so terrifying. All of these boys who've been... Raised as child soldiers, the they, war boys are great. They're all they all look like skinheads or something. Scary looking skinheads. They're, they're all painted in white. Heads. They're white, glowing white. They're wearing just combat boots and yeah. you know combat trousers, and they're violent. And their faces are painted like skeletons. They're just yeah. terrifying. They're essentially uh, fundamentalist Muslims, basically. What? Right? Well, they're just, well, what are they're you just, talking about, they're screaming, they're screaming about death, martyrdom, all the promises, the women that are going to await them in the future and the afterlife. Mm. They're all – I think there's a definite parallel being drawn to uh, to Islamic to Islamic radical Islamic fundamentalism. You think so? Yeah. I mean, they, I mean it's – they talk about everything but the 72 virgins basically. You know, Valhalla, I am coming. You know, women are going to await me in the afterlife. I can't wait to die this glorious death. You know, for my Lord. Oh, I think it's I think it's very clear. Really, I thought it yeah. was very cult like because I feel like this is something that people in cults say. Well, they're and they're and they're bred they're bred from birth to have these to have these ideas of this particular afterlife where the most glorious thing that you can be is a martyr. Yeah, but th- that reminded me more of um, what's his name and drink the flavor aid guy. You know, oh. <laughs> Jim jo- Jim yeah, Jones. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you know, it, it's that wow. whole thing where it's. Uh, you're, you're just brought up thinking crazy stuff, and then well, you spray some silver spray paint in your mouth. And I, you will be sh- I will be shiny in chrome. <laughs> They're spraying chrome spray paint all over their mouths, getting all hopped up for death. Yeah, I love it. And so Nicholas I, Holt, of course, plays one of them. Nux. Yeah. So I thought it was scary. This world is so scary, and I want to get the hell out of this world, and I want to see somebody escape this world and get out. And Charlize Theron, I think, is a great action star. Yeah. She's a lot of fun to watch. She's fierce. She's also just good looking, you know, but very strong. Uh, She has a prosthetic arm that's almost like a robot arm because... Who knows why, but everyone's losing limbs in this post-apocalyptic world. Who knows what happened to her? Uh, And then I have to say, though, 
Mad Max himself kind of seemed like an afterthought. Like, he didn't really matter to them. <laughs> Mad Max, strangely enough, and given sort of Tom Hardy's star stature at this point and taking over for such an iconic role, Mel Gibson played Mad Max through the first films. Um, you know, that Mad Max was probably the reason we know Mel Gibson. That was his breakout role. Um, and it's funny that the Mad Max character is really just secondary. I really think the only reason he's in this film is because he's got name recognition, Mad Max. You know, now we can connect it to a past franchise that everybody knows. But really, this movie is Mad Maxine. It's really Charlize Theron's story. She well, is the hero. Well, her name is Furiosa, and they are on Fury Road. That's right. The whole movie. Imperator Furiosa. <laughs> yes. And she's great and a lot of fun. I love the fact that she... Um, uh, uses motor oil to uh, to for mascara. <laughs> Gets yeah. all that motor oil on her fingers and then like blackens her <laughs> eyes and her forehead. It's great. I love that kind of stuff. She's very fierce. And you know, one one thing that's notable, they're on Fury Road. The whole movie, the fact that it's called Mad Max Fury Road, is because they really are just on one long. I, I wouldn't even call it a road trip. A chase. It's a chase. They're being chased the entire movie. It's a two hour chase movie. If right. you're okay with that. Fine. If you're not okay with it like me, I normally do not like that kind of premise for a movie, you might actually be surprised because I ended up liking it anyway. Just so you liked that. it? Oh, yeah. I, I have to say the cinematography in this also was great. The choreography is of, of the fight scenes, yes. great. Uh, Charlize Theron is so likable. But I do have to say I did have a slight issue with these sex slaves who were being rescued. Oh, I thought they were they, hilarious. They, they referred to them as um, the warlord's brides, but uh-huh. obviously they're not consensually his brides. Right, so right. They're, they're essentially his sex slaves that he's trying to reproduce with. And One of them played by uh, Zoe Kravitz. Yes, the beautiful young Zoe Kravitz. And yes. I, I feel that our introduction to them in particular, they're all just in see-through clothes showering themselves. Oh, but it's one of the great... It's, gr- it's like, oh, such a great on. scene. It's so funny because you've just you've been through all this bloodshed and just exaggerated war and explosions and cars and people getting yanked under wheels. And then when the truck finally pulls over and you see what's in the cargo, it's a bunch of supermodels hosing each other down with this giant fire hose of water. And I thought that was so funny. And it's such a great, like... It was such a great twist to me on that kind of male fantasy, you know, and you could tell that Mad Max not is... Not a twist on the male... That's oh, everything no, I a think male it... fantasy is. It's like, look, we get to chase, and then when we're done, we get to see hot ladies showering. Yeah, but, well, and I will say one thing, though. There's there's uh, no real nudity in this in the movie. They're, they're, and, they're, in fact, their clothes are not even see-through. You know, you're not, it's not it's not yes, the... Yes, they are. No, they're, they're not. Totally they're not. See- I don't just, think they are. You just don't think they're see-through in the naughtiest spots. What? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's, they're they're, totally it's not wet t-shirt. It's not not wet t-shirt. And um, and I think it's so funny because Mad Max is so stunned by this vision that it's almost like he, he, it's, he doesn't even have time to get turned on. He's just like, what in the hell is happening out here? There's a, there's, a, there's a fashion shoot going on in the middle of this nightmare. I thought it was hilarious. I loved that. No? <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, enough of that. I will say that... Uh, the reason this is one big chase scene is because the Road Warrior, which is the iconic Mad Max film from 1981, culminated in this big rig chase that lasted for about 20 minutes. And it's one of the, you know, I would say it's one of the great action scenes in cinema history. It's, it's a complete marvel. And you can tell that George Miller, the writer, the director of the Mad Max movies, wanted to somehow outdo himself in a way. He wanted to somehow up the ante 
and not just kind of go back to his old normal apocalypse. And so <laughs> you get that 20 minute chase scene stretched into, I mean, they, I mean, they are, they barely ever pull over for the entire two hours. I mean, they are, everything is in motion in this movie for about two solid hours. And that's incredible. I thought it was a lot of fun, really wild, super inventive. The stunts are fantastic. There's also a rock band on wheels that's always chasing. I must know that. The rock band on wheels <laughs> in front of the Marshall stacks with the electric guitar that also shoots fire is hilarious. It's just hilarious. There, there is no idea too bizarre or too ridiculous for George Miller to throw into this thing. And I just thought it was so much fun. It looks great. It does not look like the other Mad Max films, which are very um, greasy and gritty and ugly. This, this is, is beautiful. It's beautiful like the dust storms and the – although terrifying still. The, yes. The humans are the scary part. It's yeah, not of even course. the earth. It's, the humans are terrifying. The earth is scary in its own way, but the truly terrifying thing that makes you just want to shoot yourself when you see them coming are the other humans. Yes, exactly. You see them and you just think, all right, is there a special pill I can take so I don't have to face off with you people? <laughs> You're horrible. Yes. So you liked Mad Max Fury Road? Oddly, I did. Oddly and unexpectedly, I really enjoyed Mad Max Fury Road. Good I- date. Maybe even a great date. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I'm a huge Mad Max fan, so my my expectations were high. But, of course, I had this nagging feeling in the back of my mind. What if it's awful? What if it's awful? And uh, it's not. I thought Mad Max Fury Road was completely fun, great looking, uh, you know, and I was glad to see George Miller, who's 70, by the way. Uh, out really outdo himself and like stay fresh and and bring a new kind of visual weirdness to this old idea of the apocalypse. I, I thought it was a lot of fun and and really great. I loved it. All right. Well, let's move on to something a little bit different. Pitch, a little. Pitch Perfect too. Tell us about it, Rafer. Well. We're back with the Barden Bellas. They're still at, at Barden University, as uh, as the college rep says, the right choice and a cheap one. <laughs> and uh, Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson are still part of the Barden Bellas. Uh, once again, uh, their a cappella group has suffered public humiliation, this time because uh, Fat Amy, played by Rebel Wilson, uh, has a wardrobe malfunction in front of the Obamas. They're stripped of their privileges at the university, but they can still redeem themselves if they can win at the world championships against a lockstep German Volkswagen-sponsored a cappella group named Das Sound Machine. Here's a clip. Baden Bellas, you came here to see us? Is it because you are, what do the American kids say, jelly? Okay, we didn't come here to start something with you guys. We just wanted to check you out before the world's where we're going to kick your ass. That's right. (laughs) You? You are the kicker of ass? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are so tiny. Like an elf. Das Sound Machine. How'd you like Das Sound Machine? <laughs> <laughs> they are so German. But kind of German in that version of Saturday Night Live Dieter. Exactly. Exactly. Like, this very dated, like, 80s were just barely out of the Cold War. Right. We wear black turtlenecks and we are very fierce. Yeah. They're like a like. they're like an a cappella version of uh KMFDM <laughs> or or like or Kraftwerk or something. <laughs> they're the a cappella Nitzer Ebb. Uh, oh, Nitzer Ebb, nice. Yeah, I remember Nitzer Good Ebb. Reference. Right? Yeah, I, I totally pull, remember. I Nitzer. pulled that one out. Nice. Yeah. Uh yeah, the fascist a cappella group. So uh well and so you know the, the 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 main members of the cast are back. Um, you've got uh, Anna Kendrick, Rebel Wilson, Skylar Aston as uh, Anna Kendrick's love interest. 
Uh, you've got a couple other plots woven in here. Uh, one thing that's happening is Anna Kendrick is, have, has become an intern at a recording studio. Uh, there's a new Bella uh, played Haley by Haley Steinfeld. Steinfeld. Yes, she's coming in. She has, a, she has an interesting thing going on because she likes to actually sing originals, which mm. is not allowed. Not allowed in it's the acapella world. It's just not part of the acapella world. No, no. no. You just don't do that. No. No, no you don't. Uh, and so what did you think, Kristen? Well, as you know, I loved the first one. I yeah. thought the first one was just a delicious confection that really leaves you just laughing and skipping out of the theater, uh, singing. And something I really liked about that is in this one also, which is great arrangement, sung enjoyably but not wonderfully. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think both that, I that's true. Both that movie and this movie, it's not like you know your singing is not so outstanding that it's like the singing of angels it's pretty good it's yeah. like rebel wilson it's just yeah. like you know it's like you you guys are doing a fine job singing but the arrangements are fun they're always pop songs that you knew from your own like college days or high school or sometime in the last decade sure so that's always fun a lot of I, 90s hip-hop in there oh yeah and i really like the cameos in this movie too there are some really unexpected ones the obamas as you mentioned yes we also have um david cross we have the green bay packers yes. we have reggie watts <laughs> john hodgman john hodgman there's some really unexpected cameos that are a lot of fun in this movie so i got a kick out of that I will say that the characters just didn't quite sparkle in the same way that they did in the first movie. I, I yeah. don't know if they were muddled, if they just weren't all in this time. And there there were some race jokes that I just thought fell flat and I didn't enjoy. The race the race jokes are very odd in this film. Um, you remember from the first film, Elizabeth Banks, who directs this movie, by the mm-hmm. way. Elizabeth Banks and John Michael Higgins uh, play a pair of... Um, commentators. They're yeah. almost like sports commentators. Right, for the acapella, acapella world. Yeah. Um, and I think in a, in a sign of where podcasting is going, they are now podcasters. They have a, <laughs> they have a podcast called Let's Talk Acapella. <laughs> and uh, so that's what they're doing now. And I think John Michael Higgins' character... And I don't remember him being like this in the first film. He's supposed to be kind of a right-wing, Stephen Colbert-ish, blowhard. But he's not like a Stephen Colbert because there's no irony. No. Well, that, I think that's the problem. I think he's supposed to be satirizing the old white America, the kind of mm. old racist, sexist, white patriarchy. And in the first movie, he was very chauvinistic. I was remember he, see, I he was remember. super chauvinistic. Oh, I don't remember that. Okay. But, but you know, well, the race that's... humor in this is really notched up to 11. Yeah, and it's and it's it's not um it's not constant, but it's chronic and it, it, the mm. jokes keep coming up and aside from him kind of making these snide comments about Koreans and Indians, you know, he's watching an Indian singing group called Nonstop, which is funny. Uh, and he's watching them go off stage and he says, well, there they go, probably to take some more of our jobs. And it's little jokes like that that just that don't sound like a comment on racism. They just sound like racism. And yeah. and, and I think there's also the Guatemalan Bella, a newcomer to the to the Bella to the Barden Bellas, who's Guatemalan, and all she ever does, I don't think she has any other line of dialogue that is not making fun of uh, poor Hispanic people in uh, Latin American countries who are desperate to escape, and it's not actually that funny. That 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 concept is not really that funny. Yeah. It shouldn't 
be that dumb. It should be well, criticizing. Exactly. It's, it should be criticizing what real issues are out there. The way not that Chris Rock does. a dumb stereotype. Right. Like and, and Chris that Rock be was always really race. good about that yeah, stuff. You absolutely. know, you could get you could get to the heart of a stereotype and poke fun at it and acknowledge the truth, but also acknowledge your kind of complicity in it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's not what's happening. That's here, not though. what's happening here <laughs> in Pitch Perfect too. And that's too bad because much of it's very fun and those ethnic jokes. They got me down after a while, and they kind of they bun me out, and um, and I felt that it was not a very good movie because of that. Frankly, mm. it was not the weaknesses in the movie plus the ethnic jokes kind of sunk it for me, and I did not think that Pitch Perfect Two was a good date. Well, I still thought Pitch Perfect Two was worth seeing. Yeah, I, the, I mean the the ethnic jokes got me down too, but they didn't get me down enough to take the song out of my heart. <laughs> okay, and the song was still there, and um doesn't sparkle, doesn't make me as happy as the first one by any means. The first one is just a delicious, wonderful little surprise of a movie. Yeah. This one is fine, and I'm still going to give it a pass. I'll, right. I'll give it a pass as a date. Okay. All right. Well, stay with us, because coming up, dun, 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 our new feature, Mystery Date. What's behind the curtain when you click on that Watch This Movie on Netflix? We're going to click on one of those movies, watch it, tell you what we think. We also have some movie therapy, and as usual, there's trivia. Movie Date is supported by the Movie Music Stream at YourClassical.org, a new site for expertly curated streams, unique programs, and relevant features to promote calm and focus. Click, listen, and relive your favorite moments on the silver screen. Find a steady stream for your epic scenes with movies at YourClassical.org. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And we want to remind you that if you haven't already, we'd love it if you would subscribe to us on iTunes. Because, you know, even if you listen to us in another way, like on Stitcher, or if you just go to thetakeaway.org, or moviedatepodcast.org, or one of the million other ways to listen to us, if you go into iTunes and subscribe to us, it actually helps other people find us more easily. Because there are, sadly, other movie podcasts out there with Similar titles. Yes. Ours, like, very similar ones with that have almost the same name as ours, and we will not name those other podcasts. But no. uh, it just makes it easier for other people to find us and for us to enjoy you and for you to enjoy us. So if you could, go on to iTunes and subscribe to Movie Date. Hi. Oh, hi. Have we met before? Not that I remember. And I'd remember. I know so very little about you. I know very little about you. I find you very attractive. Do you find me attractive? Rafer, what's that sound I hear? It's mystery date. Ooh, mystery date. So, Rafer, let's talk about this week's mystery date. So this week uh, is a movie you may have seen. It's playing in theaters, and it's also on video on demand. It's called Maggie. It's a zombie film starring Abigail Breslin and Arnold Schwarzenegger, Together at Last. And you may be wondering, now wait, why isn't this movie playing all of America? Why am I not seeing this all over, you know, posters everywhere? Well, uh, we're going to 
take a look at this film and tell you whether or not this is a hidden gem, whether this is something you should rent, or whether this is something that you might avoid. Because the premise is kind of interesting, wouldn't you say, Kristen? Oh, absolutely. It's an unusual premise because, in a way, it's trying to humanize the zombie experience. Yeah. When you're turning, and they actually do call it the turning, I believe, in this. Yep. When you're turning from human into zombie, there's this period of a few days, maybe even a couple of weeks, where... You still have your wits about you. You're still emotional. You're still thinking like a human for the most part, but you're gradually becoming zombie. And as you become zombie, your eyes start to become cloudy and scary looking. Yep. Uh, the veins pop out in your face and the dark black blood underneath is, you know, infesting you. Your sense of smell becomes very, very, very heightened. And there are a few other symptoms. But during those few days or weeks, some people are trying to hold on to their loved ones and not put them in an institution, but be able to love them for as long as possible. But it's kind of a bad idea because when you have your child who you just love so much, but they're turning into a zombie, you don't always see that the turning point has already happened and my child's about to eat me, you know? So Arnold Schwarzenegger, he loves his daughter desperately. He's a widower. His daughter's really one of the only people he has left in the world. He wants to not put her in the institution because when you're in the institution, they essentially throw all of you, regardless of what stage you're in, into one room and you all eat each other. Right. So he's trying to hold on to his daughter. Here's a clip. Dad, you've protected me all my life. Now it's my turn to protect you. There is life with you, not with me. Don't come looking for me. I'm safe. I'm fine. And that's Abigail Breslin as uh, as Marguerite or Maggie. And I think one thing that's interesting about this film, aside from the approach that you're talking about, is that this also, although it's a zombie film, gives Arnold Schwarzenegger a chance to play something of a dramatic role. This is not the Arnold Schwarzenegger who's quipping, you know, one-liners saying, I'll be back and hasta la vista and, and crushing people's heads. He's really playing a concerned father. Um, and so that's kind of interesting. What did you think of this film, Kristen? I was really surprised by it. You know, when Netflix says click on this movie and I click on it, I usually think it's going to be crap. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because I would have heard of it if it was good, right? I would have heard of it. But right. I didn't really know about this movie, but clicked on it, watched it. And I was very pleasantly surprised. It's it's an efficient movie. It's only about 85 minutes, I think. Yeah, it's very short. Very short. And it's it's very atmospheric. You might think it's the 1970s in any small town, <laughs> sort yeah. of like rural area in America. There are farmers. There are pickup trucks. There are rotary dial phones. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. It's another era. Everybody's white. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good point. But... All that being said, that's not a bad thing. I think that creates a a certain kind of atmosphere where this is Americana at its finest in our version of, you know, our iconic version of what America is at a certain time and place. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is just another father in America, even though he has that Austrian accent, and um, just trying to make do, do the best he can. And it's really a different kind of zombie movie. You're not trying to escape. You're not trying to chase. You're not trying to kill. You're trying to hold on to and love somebody before they turn. And in a way, it felt 
almost like an Ebola. Yes, I sort think of, Ebola is definitely an, an analogy to be drawn for yeah, sure. It, it almost felt like an Ebola narrative in early, a way. Early AIDS as well, I think. Yeah, the, the, the idea I thought about that, that too in the yeah. early 80s when we didn't know what AIDS was. Exactly. You know, and you really are not going to live long and people don't really quite understand how it spreads. How right. long are you going to keep this loved one in your house? Are you scared right. you're going to catch it? And, um, and, and so... I thought that's what made it interesting also is this seems so human. It's really humanizing the whole experience, and I really ended up enjoying it. Really? Yeah. How about you, Rafer? I thought it was terrible. What? <laughs> I, thought was ter- I thought it was a terrible movie. I what? did. I did. I couldn't understand... I couldn't understand anyone's motivation for what they were doing. First of all, just just to, just no, to start. No, think about your own kids, Rafer. Think about you. You love your kids so much, and imagine one of them sick, and they're crying, and they're coughing, and, and listen. And you love your child so much, and they're just like, "Daddy, please don't send me away." And they're crying, and they're coughing, and they don't feel good. I understand. I totally understand that. But if we are talking about the apocalypse having settled comfortably in on America, which it has clearly in this in this film, and you know what it means to keep your child there and your family. It means that you, your wife, and your other child are all going to become flesh-eating zombies. I don't think you keep your kid around. I just don't think you do it. And and Arnold Schwarzenegger's character repeatedly has a doctor who comes to him and says, make it quick. You can give him this. You can give, here's an injection. You can use that shotgun. Make it quick. And I just kept thinking to myself, yeah. Why are you keeping around your child? Why why would you do this? Why on earth would you do this? It doesn't make because your any child sense is to me. begging you, don't do this, don't do this, don't send me away. And she's crying and she's hugging you and she's like, please don't do this. But she's not. That's the other problem with this film. At the beginning of the film, she has escaped. She has left the farm exactly for that reason. And Arnold Schwarzenegger goes back and gets her and then brings her back. It does not make any sense. She's already tried to leave. Even she knows what's happening. Why doesn't she try to leave again? The movie doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) Not to mention the fact that it's a zombie tearjerker. And I have to watch the entire film watching everyone wring their hands and get all weepy over the fact that Abigail Breslin is turning into a zombie. A zombie. It's not, very sad. She's not, it's it's you it's don't not want a, your loved ones to become zombies. No, you don't. I don't. I want my loved ones to be human. Yes, of course. But I'm going to say if this movie wanted to be some kind of social commentary on something like Ebola or AIDS, I think it had to do something much more complicated and nuanced and interesting and pointed than it did. I think it really is just asking me to kind of get all sad and verklempt over uh, over a girl who's becoming a zombie. And I just thought, you know, her eyes are clouding over and her skin's blackening and that bite wound is spilling over with maggots. I think it's time to do something about this before you're sitting around being eaten by your own daughter. That's just me. But I thought I thought that Maggie was a terrible, unwatchably bad date. All right. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Fine. You think it's a horrible date? A split I, decision on the mystery date. That's yeah, fascinating. I, I, I thought it was a surprising date. A sensitive date, and I thought it had some good social commentary. So I am not going to call this a horrible date, Rafer. I'm not. I'm going to say that this week's mystery date, it it had a little bit of heart to it. All right. One of us went home happy. (laughs) All right. Coming up next, Kristen, movie therapy. What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! 
All right, Rafer. So this week, we have a phone call from one of our listeners right here in New York City. Hi, Kristen Rafer. This is David Hill calling from New York City, a longtime listener and fan. And I'm calling for some movie therapy. Like Kristen, I was adopted. I traced my birth family and also did a bit of detective work. I had many interesting discoveries, one of which was that my maternal grandfather was an MI6 spy at the same time as the fictional James Bond, something his non-adoptive family did not know. For my movie therapy, I was wondering if you could recommend some Cold War spy films. Thanks a lot. Bye. Wow, David Hale. What an amazing story that is to track down your birth family and find out that you have a grandfather who was an MI6 None of his family yeah, knew, but you no know this knew. now. Mm. That's amazing. Can you imagine coming home to your wife or your kids and just like, what, what happened at the office today? Oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. You know, same old, same old. <laughs> <laughs> I made another sale. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Well, uh, so obviously, uh, surely you know about you know the classics. Um, all those the, James Bond movies. All the James Bond movies, of course, and um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, uh, the Jean Please Le Carre series. Please watch the movie series. Do not the, the miniseries. I'm going to recommend the film as well with Gary Oldman, which I thought was actually quite good, quite lovely. I actually really mm, liked that film. I have to disagree with Ray. Yeah, Burr. Kristen, was, Kristen was not a fan of no, that one. No, the miniseries. The yeah, miniseries is the way to go. And that's 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 the iconic version, of course. Um, I'm going to recommend two uh, slightly off the beaten track uh, movies. At least I feel like I don't hear a lot of Americans talk about these. One is uh, The Spy Who Came In from the Cold um, with Richard Burton. And this is a great old spy film that kind of um, got sort of got great critical acclaim when it was first released and then sort of fell off the map. And around about, I think it must have been the late 80s or the early 90s, uh, it got kind of salvaged, rescued, restored, um, and um, it's released now on home video. You can find it on the Criterion Collection. Richard Burton plays a an MI6 agent who's going to be sent over the wall. He's going to be sent into Eastern Europe and try to sow a little, uh, sow a little, uh, not dissent exactly, but he's going to go in there and try to bring a few people down by posing as a defector, discrediting them, and then somehow, we assume, getting himself back over into England. Things don't quite go that way once he essentially crosses into the looking glass of Eastern Europe. Here's a clip. We have to live without sympathy, don't we? We can't do that forever. One can't stay out of doors all the time. One needs to come in. In from the cold. I'm an operator, Control. Just an operator. There's a vacancy in banking section which might suit you. Sorry, I'm an operational man. I'll take my pension. I don't want a desk job. I don't know what's on the desk. Paper. Mm. This is This is a... Um, very serious film. This is a drama. It's not a thriller. And uh, Richard Burton is fantastic in it. And it's got this beautiful, lovely, crisp black and white photography, a real uh, gripper of an ending that will stay with you for a long time. And it is not a pretty picture of MI6. This is not the guns and glamour and girls. It's, um, uh, well, to borrow a phrase from the title. It's a very cold, it's a very cold world that he's living in. And um, the title works very well that way because you do feel like he wants to get out of that world. He wants to get away from this amoral, puzzling, bizarre, nonsensical world that he lives in. I recommend that movie highly. It's great. And the other one I'm going to recommend to you, and um, there are actually a couple of movies to choose from here, is The Ipcrest File, uh, which spawned at least a couple sequels uh, with Michael Caine. And these movies are a little more fun. They're a little bit more like a 
harder hitting, uh, slightly more realistic version of the Bond films, actually, um, of the great Michael Caine in, in one of his early roles. Uh, and he is playing an MI6 agent who is in the first film trying to find out why all these scientists keep disappearing. They keep, they keep leaving their jobs and quitting. What's happening? Uh, why, why is there this mass exodus of the world's greatest scientists? Here's a clip. I'm going to tell you until I know you're clean. And if you're not clean, I'm going to kill you. And this is also a, a great movie. And it's great if for nothing else just to watch Michael Caine walk around in these awesome suits and those enormous, enormous glasses. Um, I love those glasses. This, this, this you is, can see them again in Kingsman. Exactly. This is, the, this is the movie where Kingsman, The Secret Service, the recent film with Colin Firth, got its entire style sense from the Ipcrest file. Um, I would also recommend Funeral in Berlin, which is the sequel, which has a very, very funny scene in which Michael Caine meets a femme fatale who tries to lure him back to her hotel room and uh, Michael King just rolls his eyes out of the entire time. He can't believe how stupid the lines she is are saying, but he goes anyway, of course. Um, and it's a very, very, very funny scene. So the Ipcrest file movies are also very good. And I have one more recommendation, David. This is a lighter recommendation and it's Casino Royale. I don't want to have you see the 2006 version, though. No, the David Niven version. I want you to see the 1967 version. 1967 version with David Niven. It's a comedy. It's a satire, but it's yes. a smart satire. It's yes. wacky. It's silly. But it looks like a James Bond movie. It has MI6 written all over it. It has, has the girls. It has the guns. It has the spies. It has all of it. But it's a send-up of things at the same time. Yes. And originally, this was originally supposed to be like part of the Bond universe, and he couldn't the producer, Charles Feldman, he couldn't quite get the rights together to right. get this as part of the Bond universe. And so he made it into the satire instead. So that's why the real Casino Royale part of the Bond universe wasn't made until 2006. Right. That's why we have the satire made back in 1967. Mm, very sexy pants you're wearing, James. Yes, they're the new double O fronts. Tell me, Miss... Uh... Good size. How much did you tip the porter to let you in here? I just showed him a little kindness. How much? Not too much. He's 83. Oh, it's a good year. It's a lot of fun, and I would recommend that also, just to see a lighter side of maybe what your grandpa was doing back in the day. So, David, enjoy those. I hope they uh, maybe bring to light a little bit of what your grandfather might have been going through during the Cold War. Who knows? It's probably, you know, he also could have just been a, a, an analyst sitting at a desk. Who knows? But uh, at least this will give you, give you some picture of uh, what he could have been doing out there. All right, Rafer, we've reached that time, the happy time when we do trivia, but the sad time because it means it's the end of the show. So last week, what did we ask, Rafer? Last week, we had a question posed to us by a listener, and we decided to use that as our trivia question. That was Ken from New Jersey, longtime, loyal, very responsive listener. Um, we thought we were really smart because we'd found an early Robert Downey Jr. James Spader film called Less Than Zero. And Ken found an even earlier one and threw this one at us. Here's a clip. He's got an attitude. No bike riding on Ken. Well, I was just sort of hoping I could take a quick ride through history. You mind taking those off? I'd like to see who I'm talking to. They've got a problem. Let go of me! Not until you tell me what your name is. He lives in two worlds. I'm sure Patty and Al about yours. Always behind enemy lines. You are not now, nor were you ever members of this club. 
friends, and I thought we were going to be good friends. Kristen and I both had no idea what that movie was. We had to look it up. But a lot of the listeners, a lot of you guys out there, you movie daters, you all seem to know this. Amazing, right? Yes, yeah. And we got this answer. Oh, my God. That's tough turf. And I know that because they used to show clips of it all the time on U68. Uh, It was like one of those, um, you know, UHF TV shows uh, on Long Island. Anyway, yes, it was definitely tough turf. I definitely remember seeing that in the movies. Um, And I want to say there was a great soundtrack behind that, too. So uh, my name is Cara Dawson, and uh, I just love your show. Thank you. Tough Turf. That's right. (laughs) Tough Turf, a movie that apparently other people have actually heard of. Great answer, and we love your whole story about these ads being on TV all the time. That's so funny. Yes, that's very funny. uh, That listener uh, from Long Island mentioned a channel, uh, a program, I think, actually, called U68, which was a music video program in uh, in the must have been the 80s, I'm assuming, on Long Island. For me, my version was Video 22, uh, which was on Channel 22, and that was like a little homespun uh, music video program that I grew up with. I guess everyone's got one. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, Every town in America probably does. But just in case you were confused by the U68 reference, that's what that means. So thank you so much for calling in. And this week, we have a trivia question inspired by Mad Max, that whole post-apocalyptic world. There's a lot of movies that have been made where we see a dystopian future. We're going to play a clip of one of those movies. Here it is. 1988. The crime rate in the United States rises 400%. 1991. The United States police force is formed. 1997. New York City is a walled maximum security prison. Ooh, a dystopian future. If you know what that movie is, give us a call. 5717 Movies. Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast.